95 out of 100 revolutions don't improve things. <laughs> um, mm. Things work much better when you can, uh, when you have evolution, when you can mindfully evolve an existing system in the right direction. The Rational View is a weekly series hosted by me, Dr. Alan Scott, providing a rational, evidence-based perspective on important societal issues. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Rational View. I'm your host, Dr. Al Scott. This episode continues my series on the rational art of war on social media. Following on from my great interview a few weeks back with Dr. Lee McIntyre, author of Talking to Science Deniers, he suggested I interview his colleague, Dr. Andrew Norman, who is actively working to inoculate the world against anti-science thinking, as we all should be doing. Please stay tuned for the interview. And as always, if you like what you're hearing, please think about pressing like on your podcast app, share the episode with your friends, uh, come join the discussion on my Facebook group, The Rational View, or sign up on my website for my newsletter at www.therationalview.ca. Dr. Andy Norman is the award-winning author of Mental Immunity, Infection Ideas, Mind Parasites, and the Search for a Better Way to Think. His work has appeared in Scientific American, Psychology Today, Psychiatric Times, Skeptic, Free Inquiry, and The Humanist. He's appeared on the Joe Rogan Experience, NPR, the BBC's Naked Scientists, and now the pinnacle, The Rational View. <laughs> His research illuminates the evolutionary origins of human reasoning, the norms that make dialogue fruitful, and the workings of the mind's immune system. He champions the emerging science of mental immunity as the antidote to disinformation, propaganda, hate, and division. He is also the founder of the Cognitive Immunology Research Collaborative, CIRCE, a global think tank leading the effort to inoculate humanity against cognitive contagion. Dr. Norman, welcome to The Rational View. Thank you, Al. So that's, uh, that's quite a, a diverse background there, a very broad, uh, lots of uh, interest in this work that you're doing. Can you tell me a bit about your background and how you came to found Circe? Uh Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, so I, gee, I guess the story starts back in college when uh, you know I was kvetching about our species, sorry, lack of wisdom. And a friend turned to me and said, hey, Andy, quit complaining and do something about it. <laughs> so a few weeks later, I declared a philosophy major. Um, Philosophy literally means love of wisdom, lover of wisdom. Philosopher is, a, is at least in its original Greek sense, a lover of wisdom. So I've been trying for 30, 40 years now to figure out what wisdom is and how we can acquire a little bit more of it so that we can uh, take better care of our world and each other. Okay, so you, so you would class yourself as a philosopher? Is that... That's my training. Uh, and uh, I uh, taught for many years at the university level, but I'm, uh, I'm now more of a, a uh, independent scholar. But, okay. um, but yes, I continue to answer to, uh, hey, philosophers. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, when did you when did you fund found Circe and how long has this work been going on? Circe emerged just in the last year uh, in the wake of the publication of my book. So in my book, I argue that it's time for a science of mental immunity to bad ideas um, and that the 
foundations of those science are already well worked out. So I just bring together all of the pieces, show that such a science um, uh, should exist, and and argue that we uh, invest in the development of the science and its application to prevent our world from going off the deep end. So if uh, what many scientists are calling information disorder syndrome concerns you, Circe, my research institute, might just might just uh, be have its eyes on the solution. Uh, we think we do, and we think we have a pretty good understanding of how we can strengthen human uh, the defenses of the human mind so that mis and disinformation don't uh, hijack our thinking and turn us into um, people we don't want to be. So tell me about the mind's immune system. What, what, when you talk about the mind's immune system, what are you talking about? Yeah, that's the key question. Um, so for about 60 years, psychologists have been actually been studying how the mind um, filters information. And that information filtration system turns out to behave very much like the body's immune system. So this is not widely known. And as far as I know, I'm the first person to actually suggest that we speak of the mind's immune system as a literally existing thing. Um, but the idea that we can inoculate minds against um, misinformation goes back uh, to the 1960s, I think. Um, and that research, that early research shows that um, you can prime the mind's immune system to be more resistant uh, to conspiracy thinking, um, science denial, uh, irrationality of many kinds, but we have to study it and do it carefully. And if we, if we do it right, it takes us far beyond the critical thinking paradigm and gives us a whole bunch of new tools for strengthening our resistance to bad ideas. It was recently um, April Fool's Day uh, earlier this week. Uh, and I, I often, I saw a meme that, that resonated a bit with me. It's like the one day of the year that people are skeptical of what they hear on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like it, yes. Um, well, one of the really interesting things that you learn when you start studying the mind's immune system is that not all mental immune disorders reduce to gullibility or lack of skepticism. It's also possible to be too skeptical for your own good. Mm -hmm. So um, a few weeks ago, I think you had my friend Lee McIntyre on the show. Yeah, great interview. Yeah, he's, he's terrific. He, he, he went undercover, of course, at a Flat Earth convention, and he learned, among other things, that Flat Earthers are far more critical than you and I of genuinely reliable sources of information. It's not just that they're gullible and swallow a complete absurdity um, based on nothing. Some of these people are very clever, and they actually go off the deep end by being hypercritical about things that are genuinely reliable, but of course, undercritical about sources that are unreliable. So you got to be skeptical to the right things. So, so you would say like a conspiracy theorist mindset is a hypercritical person? 
Exactly. In fact, um, I think we can use the term autoimmune disorder here. So, uh-huh. um, immunologists say that when the body's immune system kicks into overdrive and attacks the body itself, that's, they call that autoimmunity. Um, I argue that the mind's immune system, its tendency to raise criticisms and doubts, can itself become hyperactive and attack the wrong things. So um, autoimmune disorders of the mind exist, and they tend to generate too many of the wrong kinds of doubts. So doubts, in fact, are the antibodies of the mind. There's a lot of uh, interesting analogies here to to the immune system, but uh, my uh, concern is the anti-vaxxers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't expect that to, to find many uh, anti-vaxxers among the first adopters of cognitive imi- of this new science. <laughs> I think that the public is rightfully mistrustful of governments and large corporations and, and institutions and social inequity is an all time high. People who are struggling to survive don't have the time or the tool set to understand complex scientific issues. Um, how can we vaccinate an anti-elitist public from anti-science memes being pushed by bad actors? And that's a, that's a, boy, that's a tough question and a really good one. Um, first of all, hallelujah. Uh, amen to what you're saying about inequities and government corruption. And there are many, of course, corporate powers that I have little trust for as well. So I'm, I'm very much with you there. And my guess is that the, this puts us in in close company with many who also buy into many conspiracy theories. Because once you start to distrust, say, the mainstream press or you know um, the entire global elite as if it was some kind of monolithic thing, the moment you start going down that path, you're on the road to buying into a conspiracy theory that's kind of over the top. Now, I don't disagree. I've been railing against and protesting against government corruption and and inequities for decades. And so my my sympathies are very much there. But at the same time, um, I happen to know for a fact that it just does not do your mind any uh any good to lump all media into one big monolithic thing as though billions of voices all over the world were somehow conspiring against you. That's not just not true. You're, you're preaching to the choir a bit here. <laughs> How do we, um, can we reach people that have already been infected or what? Yeah. How, what's the route there? Yeah, boy, you you go straight to the tough questions, my friend. That's, uh, that's a sign you <laughs> that's have what I'm very, here for. <laughs> that's a sign you have a strong mental immune system. So more, more power to you. Um, so one thing the science teaches us is that it's easier to prevent a mind infection than to cure one. Um, or as we like to say, it's easier to pre-bunk than debunk. Mm. And pre-bunking is basically a matter of inoculating a mind against bad information, wrong information, before it arrives and sinks its roots into your mind. So um, think about the way in which the Biden administration has handled the information war since the beginnings of the Ukraine invasion. Mm -hmm. 
Now, for a long, long time, um, Russian disinformation warriors would get way out ahead of, of Western response, and the West would wait a long wait for a long time to respond. And by the time, um, and, and people would start making up their minds uh, early and buying into the Russian storyline. What the Biden administration did when, even before Putin invaded Ukraine, was to start to tell a, a, to is to preempt that false narrative by saying, "Hey, Putin is looking to invade Ukraine. We've we've got this intelligence that says he's planning to do it. Those troops troops massing on the border. You know this this is a major concern." And and he the Biden administration effectively pre-bunked against. Putin's false narrative, mm-hmm. and much of the, and apart from people in Russia who don't have access to independent media sources, the Biden administration storyline has largely taken hold around the rest of the world, um, and that means that uh, the Biden administration is essentially um, inoculating many minds. Mm-hmm not all by itself, but in, in concert with many independent journalists um, against the falsehoods um, peddled by the Russian disinformation machine. Okay. So pre-bunking is, is definitely a, a useful tool. I, I saw that uh, and that was, that was very effective. It seemed, it seemed very effective. But reminding me, though, that I didn't answer your tough question. I, I answered the easier <laughs> question, right? So, like you did. <laughs> so I'm not trying to evade it. I'm trying to work my way up to it uh, carefully. Yeah. Um, yeah so uh, just to, to, to finish the thought. Um, so if you have have to have limited resources to combat mis and disinformation, it often helps to allocate a, a good portion of it to pre-bunking or mind inoculation because it can be very hard to deprogram somebody who's been uh, you know, pulled into a cult. So mm-hmm. that could take years of, of hard debunking work. Indeed. Um, so, but there are people who successfully um, deprogram cult members. Um, I don't know if you've heard of, of uh, Daryl Davis. He's a black blues musician who actually sat down with Klansmen and deconverted over a hundred of them. Oh, okay. I did hear that story. By listening to them and talking to them. It turns out he has a really good feel for how you listen to people so that the absurdities of their own worldview um, start to come home to them. And in fact, that there was a grand wizard or something of the KKK that quit after a friend after Daryl Davis befriended him. Um, and that led to the exodus of many other KKK members, which shows that you can actually talk people out of ardent um, mind infections. Mm. Um, but but it takes some there's some art as well as some science to it. And uh, I, I can't reduce it to a simple formula because it's it's a mm-hmm. trickier problem. Mm-hmm. than that. Yeah, it. It seems to require intense one-on-one conversations where you're listening without judging and echoing back to the to the person what they seem to be saying. Now, exactly. I I've been involved in in this for some time as well. My solution because because it seems like 
you're losing ground all the time. Thousands of people are being infected by uh, troll farms and propaganda, and I'm working one at a time on people. So my solution was make a podcast. <laughs> there you go. Hey, I, 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 I like I like your approach. This way you can uh, scale it up a little bit, right? But I'd always like to find more effective ways to help. What What is Cersei doing? What, what is your organization doing to, to combat yeah. this? Well, let me just say, first of all, I, I love what you're doing on the rational view. Um, I haven't had a chance to listen to many of your episodes, but I think you're doing marvelous work and it's, Thank it's you. really important work. Um, so Cersei is trying to provide resources to people like you who want to combat um, misinformation, disinformation, divisive ideologies, um, outbreaks of irration, outbreaks of unreason. All of these are very dangerous phenomena. And right now we live in a world where the idea that everyone is entitled to their opinion, no matter how harmful, holds sway and persuades many people that they don't have any obligation to rethink their views. Um, as a proponent of rational inquiry, I'm, I, I know you're, you understand that problem. Cersei is actually bringing the science of mental immunity to bear on these problems. So we've gathered together uh, 12, 15 of the world's top researchers in this space, and we're, we're going to bring them together, form a blue ribbon panel, and come up with a set of recommendations for strengthening people's mental immunity to mis- and disinformation. We think this is a far more effective than the traditional approach to teaching critical thinking. Um, and it's just the uh, just the start of what's possible if you really understand how the mind's information filtration system really works. Because once you know how it works, you can figure out how to make it work better. Okay. So... You're working on a, a report, or do you? Are you going to be putting things out on blogs, or what's 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 the what's the process? Yeah, so this this group of of uh, researchers that we've assembled are going to be meeting uh, next month in May, um, and trying to distill out what we've learned about the mind's immune system, model how the mind's immune system works, and identify the sort of the lever points or the the places where where we can boost mental immune performance um, at relatively low cost. So we're, look, we're looking for the ways to enhance aggregate um, resistance to the kind of infectious nonsense that is spreading far too easily in our world. Mm. Um, that, that we, we are seeking institutional partners like the United Nations and the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development and the Brookings Institution. We're seeking partners like them to help us because most of them have already expressed a real commitment to solving, to working on this problem. Um, and we think the tools we're developing uh, will enhance uh, other efforts in this space efforts like yours as well that's it's a very laudable goal i mean a lot of these ideas resonate strongly with me and i think it's very timely um it seems 
lately that, you know, almost the entire edifice of liberal democracy is crumbling under the weight of a concerted attack. And, you know, we're, we're just starting to put our defenses in place um, for the, but the political polarization already exists. Mm-hmm. Um, people are angry because the economic system has been exploited and there's huge inequity. Um, I think a significant fraction of the people don't care. They just want to burn down the edifice that's been oppressing them. Yeah. So the question that brings up is, are we too late to prevent the collapse? And the more pertinent question is, should we? Man, um, I didn't realize I was walking into a situation here where I'm given some really tough questions, but I love it. I love it. <laughs> okay. Um, are, is it too late to prevent the collapse of Western civilization? Um, I don't know. Um, I don't think anybody knows for sure. It's possible that the internet and social media have unleashed forces that that we can that we can can't curtail. But I also think that the idea that it's all going to hell in a handbasket, that democracies everywhere are destined to crumble, that that's probably an overreaction. In the same way that a conspiracy conspiracy theorist's minds mind can spiral out of control. Our own fears can spiral out of control. And yes, reading the news every day is incredibly depressing. And it makes me feel as though everything is corrupt and it's all going to shit and there's no stopping it. But then I remember that fears tend to make it hard to think in proportionate ways. And so when I'm fearful Mm. about civilizational collapse, chances are I may very well be um, exaggerating the danger. I don't want to minimize the danger, but I also want to keep an even keel so that I can do be my best self and trying to help avert it. So um, I think we, even those of us who are deeply concerned about the, you know, the current economic and political dysfunction um, can learn from the science of mental immunity to keep an an even emotional keel in our assessment of the dangers. Um, One of my intellectual heroes is Steven Pinker, who has done an enormous amount to show that that the human condition is getting better and better and better uh, in recent over recent centuries and decades by almost every objective measure. Mm. And if you remind yourself of things like that, you're less likely to spiral into a a depressive funk that, that uh, warps your sense of what's really going on. That's why I try to remember stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, We are in a privileged position in terms of all of human history at this point that there's so you know, we basically live like kings uh, of only a few hundred years ago. Um, and right. So that's good. A good point to, to remember is that much of our our cognition is irrational. Much of our decision making is emotionally based. And um, you know, we try to rationalize our thinking and, and put it in into logical terms. So, you know, I understand what you're, where you're coming from here. Mm-hmm. One thing that worries me a little bit is that it seems defenders of rational thinking and people that are on the side of liberal democracy um, 
tend to uh, when you know they claim victory in any particular area are really propping up the status quo mm-hmm. and the status quo isn't a good thing in a lot of cases I think we also need to be cognizant that things need to change if we want to get to a, a more stable society. Mm-hmm. So I think we need we need a little bit of this fear uh, to motivate us because, you know, it's not a great situation where it is, even though yeah. a lot of things are good. I think we, we, we need to keep this 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 tension to, to change. I think it motivates yeah. And I, I'm with you. And and um, I, this reminds me of a conversation I had in the lead up to the to the uh, most recent presidential election um, where uh, Bernie Sanders was calling for a revolution. And my own feeling that our government has become deeply dysfunctional and that our economic system is is profoundly unjust thrilled to that language and i loved that he was just calling out the 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 riggedness of the of the system mm-hmm. and at the same and that, but i've also come to realize and friends have helped drive this home the more you run around yelling the system is rigged the more you run around saying let's let's have a revolution the more you invite the crazies to come in and um overreact to 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 real problems so I'm, I'm right where you are, I think. Uh, I'm both, um, I don't want to minimize the need for change. I don't want to, um, I think we need fundamental change in many ways. And in that sense, something like a revolution is needed. But I also think that 95 out of 100 revolutions don't improve things. <laughs> um, things work much better when you can, uh, when you have evolution, when you can, mindfully evolve an existing system in the right direction rather than uh, grab the pitchforks, set fire to things and hope that somehow the ashes will prove a better, (laughs) will provide a better life. Yeah. For my investigation of things, I think energy is key to the, to the problem and um, climate change and the need to transition from fossil fuels to cleaner energies is at the root of a lot of the problem because abundant energy is what helps bring people out of poverty and mm-hmm. and you know gdp and all this stuff is linked to availability of energy for society yeah. but we've been fighting against you know the fossil fuel lobby for decades has led an effective misinformation campaign against clean energy mm-hmm. and you know it's brought us to the brink of ecological collapse and we're in experiencing environmental turmoil yeah. can we abruptly change directions and lead people to reason in a society that's been brainwashed for so long how you know the pre-bunking we missed it <laughs> We missed the chance to pre-bunk on this sort of thing. I mean, we you know we can pre-bunk on on little things as we go forward, um, but really, what we need to do is change minds, and that's yeah. that's the work ahead of us, and that's what I've been tackling a lot of in on my podcast is the energy situation. Yeah, you're right. Al. We we do need to change minds, and and there's a lot of people these days who interpret the recent research on cognitive bias 
in, in, in an overgeneral way. They end up saying, well, we just, you just can't change minds. Reasons, doesn't, reasons don't work to change minds. You have to use stories. You have to use yeah, emotion. Um, I think that's an overreaction. Um, reasons can nudge minds in the right direction. Reasons can reshape minds. And every time you, um, you're in the passenger seat of a car and you tell the driver, oh, you know what? The route you're taking is blocked. Better head over there. You're actually using a reason to change their minds and it's working. So let's not forget it. So if you look only at cases where we try to reason people out of their religions or reason people out of their dogmatic political positions, you're apt to reach the conclusion that nobody ever changes their minds based on reasons. But, but that's wrong. We change our minds on smaller things all the time. Reasons are really good for evolving our mindsets, although they're, they face a stiff challenge when, it, when the time, when we need to, to revolutionize the way we think about things, right? Um, they, they, uh, that, that, that gets hard. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think I ended up addressing part of your question, but not all of it. Bring me back to the... Yeah, it's just how, how do we... Oh, and change fuel. minds um, on a large scale that people especially. have been propagandized for a long time. Yeah, and especially about fossil fuels. So I think you're right that fossil fuels are both a huge danger to the livability of our planet and our continued reliance of them shunts billions of dollars to some of the worst uh, peddlers of disinformation. So if we want a more equitable society, if we want a more just society, we need to break our dependence on the fossil fuels and create a more decentralized energy collection and distribution system. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm all for, for, for uh, renewables, um, decentralized energy collection and production. Um, I do have some very, very smart friends who say that solar panels and wind turbines just aren't going to be enough and that we we're going to need nuclear or that that we're going to need oil and natural gas at least to bridge us to a world i don't have the expertise to evaluate those arguments but i know that people who've studied this longer than i have um sometimes call for technologies that i'm not too keen about I, I hear you. And uh, I actually uh, would suggest you listen to those smart people because uh, <laughs> I agree uh, wholeheartedly that uh, nuclear is, is required to get us to net zero. And in fact, if you look at the, the people that the scientific authorities on this, the IPCC pathways to 1.5 degrees of the four um, pathways they presented for, for legislators, um, they included a the lowest one was doubling the current nuclear production and the highest one was five times more current nuclear production. And the main problem is that the renewables just aren't reliable. They're very low capacity factor, low density. So you actually need to produce a lot more to get the same amount of energy out. You need to mine a lot more. You need to burn a lot more fossil fuels in the long term if you're relying only on these things. And really the storage isn't there yet. The, the batteries and, and, and these things don't exist at grid level 
Whereas in nuclear, we have a proven thing. And obviously there are drawbacks that people recognize the safety issue that people are, are have been basically propagandized to worry about the safest energy form and then that we have. Um, and people will say, what about the waste? What about Fukushima? What about Chernobyl? And this is all, you know, if you look at the science, these things are non-issues. It, it's like, you know, why do you fly on planes? You should drive long distances. Planes crash once in a while. No, no, it's the same misinformation that, that people are using about nuclear. Well, uh, I'm, I'm happy to accept everything you just said. Uh, and I will also confess to having been swept up in some of the mis and disinformation about nuclear. Um, even as a young man, I was convinced that the toxic wastes from nuclear production were just too high a price to pay. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I, I would protest against new nuclear energy plants when, just as I was starting to come of age politically. Um, I'm happy to rethink that view. I, I think um, I, I still have deep concerns about the toxicity of the, the byproducts of nuclear fission. Um, but right now, I think it's probably needed uh, if we're going to make it to to carbon neutrality and prevent the planet from overheating. So that's one place where I've actually had to rethink some pretty deeply held convictions. And um, well, I appreciate your openness. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a message that the world needs, I think. And, and I, it's something I, you know, I put out back before the war in Ukraine started is, you know, Germany in, on, in December of, of last year, shut down half of their nuclear fleet and, mm -hmm made themselves dependent on Russian gas, right? They said, okay, we're, you know, we're going full steam on renewables and gas. And so they're gonna build the Nord Stream pipeline and, and make Europe completely dependent on Russia. And I, I posted, I said, this leads to Russian troops in Ukraine. Why are you doing this? <laughs> wow, you predicted this, huh? Oh yeah, I mean, it was pretty obvious from, wow. from my point of view anyways, but. <laughs> That, that's that's impressive. Yeah, no, that makes and, and in in hindsight, <laughs> yeah, that you seem one hundred percent on spot on on that. So you know, I'll, it's it, it's something that uh, you know I've been um, passionate about for some time. Is to you know, as a physicist, I'm I'm familiar with nu with nuclear processes and. And, you know, it doesn't frighten me like it does someone who is not familiar with radiation or with with these processes. You know, it's a it's an invisible, scary thing for most of the public uh, that and, you know, I find that people that become more familiar with it are less frightened of it in general. And, and if I if I could use that as an opportunity to just mention something about fear generally, um, one of the things we've learned about the brain is that fear triggers activity in something called the amygdala, a part of the brain that triggers the fight or flight response. It also happens that when the amygdala gets triggered, that it, it basically shuts down your forebrain, your ability to think um, mm -hmm. uh, at a higher level and to think judiciously. Mm -hmm. So it, when, when our ancestors had to flee from saber-toothed tigers or whatever, being able to think judiciously was not a priority being able to get the hell out of Dodge was the priority, right? Mm -hmm. So, and it turns out that those same 
uh, that same brain wiring that helped our ancestors survive now causes us to overreact often to fear and and it prevents us from thinking clearly and in, and in, in a judicious and even-handed way about energy, about um, ideology, about religion, about politics, all kinds of things. And the solution here is not to just give up thinking about these things. It's not to give up reasoning about these things. Because when you reason well about these difficult subjects, your mind's immune system gets stronger. When you reason poorly about them, your mind's immune system gets weaker. Um, we know this now, and we know the kinds of things that tend to hijack good reasoning and the kinds of things that allow reason-giving dialogue to flourish and be productive are the very same things that help your mind's immune system get stronger. So if you take time to have good dialogue where you're really listening and learning from other people and changing your mind about things, your mind's immune system is gradually growing stronger. And if you don't, if you shut down those things because they make you uncomfortable, because they threaten your faith, because they threaten your, um, your political beliefs, you're actually damaging your mind's immune system. Your ability to think well will take a hit. Mm -hmm. um, but of course, many topics that we have to think well about arouse fears, religion, politics, ethics, uh, you know, energy, warming planet. These are, these are scary topics. So it takes a deliberate effort to quell those fears if we hope to think clearly about them. Mm -hmm. your, your book mentions mind parasites. What what are what are mind parasites? Do you have examples or, or things you could tell, tell sure. us? Sure. Well, sure. The idea that we should uh, continue relying on fossil fuels is a mind parasite. Mind parasite is just a, a colorful way to talk about bad ideas. Um, but it's a, an idea that it's not just a metaphor. It's not just an analogy because it turns out that bad ideas behave more like pathogens than say groceries do. We, we like to think that the ideas we play with are just like these obedient things you can pick off the supermarket shelves and buy into, make part of your belief system. But ideas actually can take on a life of their own. They can spread across the internet and infect other minds. Ideas can warp your point of view and, and um, motivate you to do irresponsible things. Um, ideas are, uh, we actually host ideas in our heads and the ideas that harm us and the ideas that skew our thinking, they're functionally mind parasites. And if, by learning to see them in that light, by learning to interpret them in that way, we stand a far better chance of protecting ourselves against them. Mm. You, you, um, you talk about bad ideas a little bit as though they're passive things that come at us, but really a lot of these bad ideas, the more dangerous ones are funded and being pushed by bad actors uh, because they're politically motivated to, to push these stories. And you have the mm -hmm. 
historically, you know, it all, I think it all started with the, the big tobacco uh, misinformation campaign. And now we have big oil misinformation. We have Russia misinformation. So these are not only passive things that you have to have immunity for, but it really is a war. Right. Well, think about this. Suppose if you if you want to wage so think about um, traditional war. Um, you can lob bombs over a, over a border and, and you're lobbing something inanimate over the border, but it's something that can have has a lot of destructive power. Mm-hmm. If you use actual a biological weapon, you're actually releasing something that can spread from one body to another and infect and harm the entire population on the other side of that border. And by the way, those mic those pathogens that you lob over the border, they can come right back across the border and mess with people on your side of the border. Information warfare is more like biological warfare than traditional warfare, because what you're doing is you're spreading something that can take on a life of its own. Mm. This information can can, uh, echo and echo again through uh, social networks, um, unhinging minds, um, destroying people's commitment to democracy and and justice and fairness. Um, So we actually, if we wanna fight back against these things, we have to recognize um, and be completely clear about the fact that information warfare is like biological warfare and needs to be combated in similar ways. Does that make sense? But mm-hmm. I mentioned Lee McIntyre before. Lee's been really helpful in helping me understand this. And one of the things we haven't done, Lee, Lee's been, I think, on the cutting edge of this, is we have to call out the bad actors who are spreading disinformation. We have to stop giving them the benefit of the doubt and saying, oh, well, maybe they mean well. Maybe they've really deluded themselves and they're just the victims of their own nonsense. Well, there is such a thing. People sometimes do start to believe their own nonsense and then, then are become kind of unwitting tools of the very misinformation they, they hatch. But just as often there are b- deliberately bad actors out there who are spreading information precisely to manipulate your mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Vladimir Putin is one, Donald Trump in my view is a clear example of another. These are people who will use information to any end and they're happy to hoodwink their own followers to serve their own private interests. And if we don't protect our own minds against those mind parasites that they're dishing out, we become unwitting accomplices in Russian aggression, in, in the insurrection on January, uh, January 6th. Mm-hmm. Um, we become complicit in the destruction of American democracy you know, a priceless heritage from, from our ancestors. Really, you're going to buy into this nonsense Trump is peddling and destroy this legacy? Um, we have to do better. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've noticed that as well. And I think that right now the penalties for misinformation on a political level are very low. And the reason is, in my opinion, is the disintegration of the the free press and you know we need a strong and investigative free press to hold the politicians to account for their 
for their misinformation. And, yes. you know, it's it's degraded in several ways. There's obviously the push of fake news, like, you know, don't listen to the press. <laughs> Maybe the worst attack. Um, but before that, you know, investigative reporting has degraded through um, acquisition by oligarchs and mm-hmm. the media is owned by a small number of people that aren't interested in certain things being reported. Um, the 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 news stories are like newspapers aren't making as much money so they can't pay investigative reporters that they're mainly parroting single sources that put out very short information free blurbs it seems like we've really allowed the free press to 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 stagnate or to to crumble and we need to strengthen it absolutely al and and i would argue that a good Free press with a lot of investigative reporters is a critical part of of a culture's immune system. Mm -hmm. So in the same way that our bodies have immune systems and our minds have immune systems, cultures actually have mechanisms to prevent the spread of falsehoods and and propaganda and and wacky ideas. But those systems can, can break down. Those systems can be hollowed out and gutted, and they have been in recent years. And that doesn't mean you should never trust anything that the mainstream press says. Um, the, some of the most reliable reporting available today comes from the most mainstream presses available. I would argue that the New York Times and the Washington Post are, are as reliable, far more reliable than many of the news outlets that the aggrieved right flocks to. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't mean that the press, that the the Post and the Times are are free of error. They have made errors. But when they admit small errors in these correctum or addenda they put onto the things, the right often takes that as just evidence, further evidence that they're irresponsible. I mean, they're trying to do the responsible thing and correct minor oversights in their reporting. And the press and many on the right look at that and say, see, they can't be trusted after all. Meanwhile, the sources they rely on, Tucker Carlson, are spewing outright disinformation, intentionally manipulative information on an on an epic scale. It's a, it's a problem and a challenge to 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 fix that. Um, I, I'm not sure where we should go, but uh, hopefully uh, maybe Cersei will come out with uh, with the playbook for us all to to get on board. We're working on it. <laughs> So why Cersei? Is there, is there any um, any significance to the name, to the acronym? Well, first and foremost, it was uh, just the most uh, convenient acronym for something that involved cognitive immunology and research. But um, I, I don't know if you, my, my grasp of Greek mythology is not great, but I believe Cersei was the goddess who advised Odysseus how to get by the, the famous sirens without succumbing to temptation. So Odysseus oh, and his okay. sailors had to, had to sail past an island with seductive nymphs who would lure sailors to their demise through their song and, and their enticing looks. And, and um, Circe advised Odysseus to have uh, to have his crew plug their ears with wax so they couldn't hear the siren's song 
and to lash him to the mast of the ship so that he couldn't hurl himself overboard and swim to the sirens at his own death. And this advice, which helped protect them against temptation, allowed them to sail past the island unscathed. Ah, very good. Yes, I see that. I think that works. I think there are there are morals here for how to manage our 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 cognitive lives here too. Right, we have to protect ourselves against the temptations of infectious ideas. Um, and so, there's a little bit of that going on too. That's that's very good. So, uh, I I appreciate you coming on the show. This has been fun chatting. I'm going to, I'm going to send you a rational view t-shirt for coming on. So, oh, um, uh, really enjoy this, this discussion and, and the work you're doing is, is great. Um, thank you, Al. I, 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 uh, I love what you're doing as well and, uh, hope you'll help you keep it up and, and, uh, message to your followers to, uh, keep tuning in and spreading the word to, to their friends. Cause, uh, this is really important. Indeed. My my final my final thing I ask my contributors, uh, what kind of science fiction do you like? Do you have any uh, any favorites? Science fiction. Um, I'm a big fan of uh, Patrick Rothfuss novels right now. Name of the Wind and the the uh, the Wise Man's Fear. I guess that's more more fantasy than science oh, fiction. Okay, but uh, really good stuff. Um. I'm a fan of Ursula Le Guin, some of the classic science fiction. Excellent. And uh, and uh, how about the, the Star Trek uh, franchise? I gotta love that. Gotta love it. Original Star Trek or Next Generation? I'm a fan of the Next Generation, but okay. somewhat less a fan of the original. But also, but it's thumbs up both on both counts. Excellent. Thank you for coming on to the show. Uh, been a pleasure talking to you. You too, Al. Thank you. If you'd like to follow up with more in-depth discussions, please come find us on Facebook at The Rational View and join our discussion group. If you like what you're hearing, please consider visiting my Patreon page at patreon.podbean.com slash The Rational View. Thanks for listening.